Hi, welcome to The Happy Signal with your host, Christy. Welcome back. So when I went down south for my little vacation the past two weeks, I went to this museum in Memphis, and it was called the Rock and Soul Museum. And so I just want to talk to you about it, tell you why I think it was so incredible, and if you're ever down in Memphis, why I think you should go and check it out. It is. It can take you an hour. It can take you three hours if you sat down and really listened to everything that they provided. They gave us these little headsets and you walked around and you looked at the exhibits and you looked at the stuff um, and you listened to maybe like a one to like five minute clip of them telling you what it was you're looking at. And then they were like, hey, this is the artist that you're looking at and here's some of their songs and you pick them. You can listen to all the songs on there. It's really cool. And I'm on their website right now and I'm just going to read off their about us so that you Don't have to go to the website. I'm just reading it for you. So, the Memphis Rock and Soul Museum's exhibition about the birth of rock and soul music was created by the Smithsonian Institution. It tells the story of musical pioneers who, for the love of music, overcame racial and socioeconomic barriers to create the music that shook the entire world. So, they're located on Beale Street, 191, and that was really cool going to Beale Street, too. Like, I'd been there once, really briefly, for an audition, not on Beale Street, but in Memphis, and we were about to leave, and I said, can we just go really quick, I just want to see it, and we did, and I like got a picture outside, and that was that, but uh, me and Chris, my boyfriend, we spent, you know, three, four hours on Beale Street, so we had the best time, and before we left, before we got fried bologna sandwiches, which are so good, I don't know why I love them so much, um, but anyway... Um, we went to this museum, and we could have spent hours there, literally. Anyway, continuing, the the museum's digital audio tour guide is packed with over 300 minutes of information, including over 100 songs. It takes visitors at their own pace through seven galleries featuring three audio-visual programs, more than 30 instruments, 40 costumes, and other musical treasures. They were so cool. We took some pictures, so I'll try and post them on the Facebook group. Um, And if you haven't joined the Facebook group, guys, go ahead and join it. It's just the Happy Singer um, community. Check us out. Anyway, so they're open. It's only $13. It's a great money spent. So the Rock and Soul Museum first opened on April 29th, 2000. It has welcomed over a million visitors from all over the world, including thousands of school students who participate in the museum's education program, eager to learn about the social changes that have impacted the nation and led to the development of rock and roll. The museum was the firstborn of the world-renowned Smithsonian Institution and was developed by the National Museum of American History, standing NMAH, to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the Smithsonian Institution. In 1996, the Memphis Rock and Rock and Soul Museum became the first exhibition to have ever been developed by the Smithsonian Institution with another museum. In 1990, the NMAH, the National Museum of American History, set out to develop a traveling exhibition about American music. 
and continually returned to the Delta and Memphis for what was finally declared as the roots of American music. The sounds of field hollers, work songs, blues, country, and gospel of the share croppers in the 1930s and 40s eventually collided and fused in the urban sounds of Beale Street, urban blues and jazz. Sun Studio, which sadly we didn't get to go, rock and roll, and Sun Studio is known for rock and roll and rockabilly. Stax Records and High Records, rhythm and blues, soul music specifically with them. But all in all, according to the Smithsonian Institution, the Rock and Soul Social Crossroads exhibit is the story of the body of music that had the most influence on the culture and lifestyles of the world from the middle of the 20th century until today. It has affected the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we comb our hair, and the way we dress, not only in Memphis, but the entire world. So I'm going to take you through all the stuff that was in the museum briefly, you know, because there was a lot. But my main takeaway is just utter appreciation for what music is today, what it was, how good we have it, how easy it is to access music now, um, how difficult it was to get past segregation for these people and to find equality through music. Um, it was touching. It was hard not to cry because, um, you know, I was, I was just, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it blew my mind. We just sometimes forget how lucky we are and how far our friends and our family have come. So just remember that when you listen to a rock song. Like, for example, we saw the Raconteurs um, live. Full white male band. But their influences are not white, you know? Like, it's blues, it's soul, it's it's heart, it's everything. And, yeah, we would not have that rock sound without this other part, you know, the, the blues. Now, the museum starts out, and they say that it started a rock and soul, that it began in the Mississippi Delta. Now, this may be true. Like, it started in, like, rural rural areas. Um, and they were saying that through hard work and, you know, in the fields, this is where the music began. It didn't begin in the fields. It began in a different country over an ocean in Africa. And that's where it came from. But because these people were being treated less than animals... Music was uh, a release. It was a freedom. It was a way to to live, to somehow live, to somehow be free. The voice wasn't um, chained, wasn't forced to do work, wasn't forced to be without their families. Also, uh, just some facts to throw at you just for reference. And some of you may know this from history class, but um, there were probably 12 Point five million Africans between 17th and the 19th centuries um, that were enslaved and brought to the United States. Now, of course, there were some that were from Brazil and many from the Caribbean islands. Um, but yeah, that's insane. That's how many people. So you're bringing over a culture. You're bringing over 
a whole world. And yeah, I mean, yeah. It started in the Mississippi Delta, according to the museum. And through hard work, they say, economic exploitation, segregation, deep religious faith, and music. Music echoed and led the rhythms of work. It lent comfort and it embodied hopes and dreams. And I'm reading this from the website now. So agricultural, chemicals, and government policies destroyed the centuries-old cycle of planting, plowing, and chopping, and picking, leaving, picking, leaving an entire class of people without work. The royal refugees who found a home in Memphis sowed the seeds of what would become, by mid-century, a musical and cultural revolution. In the Memphis Rock and Soul Museum's Rural Cultural Culture Gallery, musical icons dirtied their hands in the fields long before the studios. Sorry, y'all. I'm, I'm getting fired up. I'm just thinking about our history, and it's just... You know. You know? Do you ever have that... You know? So I've calmed down now, (laughs) Um, but I want to say just how fun it was, other than the fact that I couldn't talk with Chris as much, like we just basically were communicating via facial expressions, (laughs) Um, because we both had our headphones in listening, it was cool, it was like we were walking around with this little portable thing that made all the stories come to life, and we were looking at the artifacts, and we were looking at all these jukeboxes and really interesting ways that people had listened to music, um, costumes that famous people had worn, um, records, jewelry, watches, pianos, um, guitars. They were like all there and it was so neat to be submerged in all of that. So if you want to learn about rock and roll, this is the place to go. And it was a really cheap entry fee Um, So if you go to Memphis, you have to go here because I feel like it just gives you an utter appreciation for where it came from as well as just how easy it is for us. Like Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, like all these different places to listen to music. It's just so accessible. Um, I can listen to anything I want at the push of a button just at my fingertips. And it was not the case for people. And like if you wanted to listen to a record, you had to go and buy the record, um, or go to a friend's house that had the record, um, and then eventually radio came, but that was like, I knew this information, but to be able to see everything like that, I thought was just so cool, and, um, I think as singers, we have to have this appreciation of the history of music, because it's one thing to sing and sing well, and Yeah, I don't know. I just, I really recommend this so, so very much. Um, And I want to give you a couple of other cool bits of information about this. And I'll start it with the Seaberg Company. So, so Seaberg came out with this, with a bunch of jukeboxes. Um, And the one that we saw that I thought was really cool, it's one of the earliest jukeboxes ever, and it was like unheard of, and it was one of the coolest things ever. It's called the Seaberg Selecto Phone Jukebox, and it was made in 1934. So it stored 1078 RPM records stacked on a vertical spine, a vertical spindle. All 10 records spun in unison. The needle arm would seek out the chosen song. Plays were a nickel each. Two selections could be made at a time, but only one could be stored. Y'all, we've come a long way. That's all I'm saying. We've come a long way. 
And they even had a piece of the original Grand Ole Opry transmitter. Um, so it was a part of the WSM radio. So this is in 1932. So, and it's like this big old, like, it looks like a, I don't know, like it holds like gasoline or something like that. Anyway, very big. Um, so... In 1932, WSM radio became a maximum power class 1A clear channel, 50,000 watt broadcaster allowing listeners throughout the southern United States to tune in on a Saturday night to hear the Grand Old Opry. The variety and veracity of the, of the shows influenced both black and white musicians. And it says that Sam Phillips, um, it's from the Sam Phillips collection. Um, is that... The singer-songwriter, because if so, that's really cool that she would want to own that. Anyway, it could be another Sam Phillips, who knows. Um, anyway, really, really cool, and it was just really big. And I'm holding my phone looking through the pictures that I took, and it was so funny. Chris pulled away his uh, headphones and was like, you know this is a podcast episode, right? And I was like, oh my god, I know. <laughs> I was like, I'm taking all these pictures. Um, there was a really cool dulcimer. It looked like one that I used to have. Sadly, I actually sold my dulcimer, my mountain dulcimer that I played on my lap, um, to move here to New York City. I, mo I sold so many things to be able to move here and to teach here. It was a crazy move. Um, but anyway, I'm looking at this picture, and it made me sad. But anyway, it was given to Elvis Presley by June Carter Cash, and it was right there. It was so beautiful. Anyway, and then they had, like, dresses that June Carter wore, who just had this amazing voice. Um, okay, there was a hand crank record player. So that was really cool. That's 1930. Um, that's when it was dated. And it looks so cool. Like, I just want to, like, own some of this kind of thing to just, like, have it around my apartment to just remind myself, like, you have it so easy. Be a little more appreciative. <laughs> Take more time with your music and drink it in more. But um, hand cranked, you know? Can you imagine just, like, cranking out your music for yourself? Just like a, well, we don't even grind our coffee anymore. I do because I lost my coffee grinder, bought a coffee grinder, but all they had was a hand grinder one. I'm going off on a tangent, guys. doesn't even matter, but um, very random. I had to buy a new one. So it was a hand crank one, and then I found my electric one. Anyway... Cranking out music, cranking out coffee grinds. Uh, let's see what else. I'm, like, looking at all these pictures, and some of them it's, like, it's hard to explain, but, like, I th I wish that more of us had, like, a ritual, like a Saturday night ritual of listening to Grand Old Opry with the family. Like, how cool is that? Let's see. Yeah, they just had, like, a ton of really cool records. First Pressing, um, Bessie Smith um, at the piano um, with Irving Johns. That was really cool. Let's see what else. All oh, these cool old microphones. I'll just post all these on the Facebook group so you guys can see it. Um, there was this interesting thing that I want to look into more. It's called Teen Town Singers. It says the Teen Town Singers exemplified WDIA's Union of Community Service, Education, and Entertainment. Station promotional consultant and public relations head A.C. Muha Williams created the group while teaching biology at a high school, carefully selected on their character, scholarship, and talent. The Teen Town Singers contained African-American students from all Memphis high schools. They rehearsed rigorously, sang at concerts and station reviews, 
The presented WDIA at such events as the annual Cotton Makers Jubilee. Its alumni included such important artists as Carla Thomas and Isaac Hayes. It's just cool to see like how education really does matter and it really can make people like Carla Thomas and Isaac Hayes. That is cool to me. And this is Carla Thomas. She sounds so sweet. This album is called Memphis Queen. Voice is so so sweet. And this is Isaac Hayes. And this is Walk On By. It's just so smooth and so warm. I love it. Also, so I'm going to go back to the jukeboxes. So I keep saying jukeboxes because I've always said that, but it's spelled J-U-K. Um, jukeboxes. They appeared in the speakeasies during Prohibition. And if you don't want to know what Prohibition is, that's just a time in the history of the United States where uh, no alcohol was allowed. So speakeasies, speakeasies were a place where people could illegally drink alcohol. So juke evolved from an African expression that meant wicked or disorderly, and juke joints were taverns patronized by African Americans. Since both speakeasies and juke joints were associated with music, dancing, and rowdy behavior, the term jukebox stuck with mechanical record players. Machines. Wow, my mouth, guys. Um, These machines quickly found favor as an inexpensive substitute for live music. After the war, jukeboxes fueled the popularity and commercial success of blues, country, rock and roll, and soul. By the end of the 1940s, jukeboxes were bringing American music to nearly every hamlet, street corner, and crossroads. So sorry about my mouth. I'm not quite sure. Maybe I should have done, like, red leather, yellow leather before this, perhaps. Uh, Anyway... Since their operators relied on customer preferences to determine selections, jukebox music appealed to community tastes that were ignored or underdeserved by radio and television. By 1955, there were 550,000 jukeboxes in the United States, and they consumed 25% of all records produced. That's cool. That's cool. Anyway, so again, I will post all of these in the Facebook group so you can get a chance to look at all of them. Um, now I'm going to revert to uh, Spotify. You can probably do this on iTunes as well, but I want you to go to your Spotify and type in Stax Records. So this is S-T-A-X, Stax Records, Hits and Classics. So follow it because it's a good choice, and you're going to see all these different artists, just like Carla Thomas, um, these artists that were a part of this world, and this is uh, a record 
label in Memphis. So here I'm going to play a couple. Here's Isaac Hayes, Do Your Thing. The Staple Singers. Yeah, this is Respect Yourself by the Staple Singers. And here are the Barquets. This is the Holy Ghost. I just love it so much. to Sun Records. So go ahead and you can pause this and go to Sun Records. Where does it want to go? Sun Records Collection is a playlist that I follow. Let's click on that one. So we have a lot of different people. Some of them you may know like Elvis Presley. Um, but I'll play a couple. Let's just play Elvis because. Baby, let's play house. Now, sad times about Elvis, I'm sure you know, but um, it, they loved Elvis because he sounded like he was black and he wasn't, and that's why they were appealed to him, which is really crappy. Um, still to this day, I feel kind of icky listening to him, if I'm just being completely honest, because there were people that were just as good if, as him, if not better, um, but they weren't as worthy of being as famous as Elvis because of the color of their skin. So part of me feels yucky about him, but I guess it's not his fault, but it is. I don't know. Thoughts? Give me your thoughts um, on the Facebook group or, you know, reach out to me, email me. Um, anyway, uh, Johnny Cash, he's another one. Cry, cry, cry. He was at Sun Records. Everybody knows where you go when the sun goes down. I think you only live to see the lights of town. I wasted my time when I would try, try, try. Cause when the lights have lost their glow, you cry, cry, cry. And again, Johnny Cash there. This is Roy Oberson.
Jerry Lee Lewis. He's one of my favorites because he's a pianist. the Dixie Cups now. So I like them and it's also cute because Dixie Cups. I actually don't know what came first, the Dixie Cups that we buy at the store or these girls. Chapel of Love. Who doesn't know Chapel of Love? Dixie Cups. Hold on, pausing the recording. Let's see if I can find out. <laughs> oh, they were first developed in 19, wait for it, 1907. So, no. All right, there you go. It's first called the Health Cup, for, but it was named after a line of dolls made by Alfred Schnittles. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> His last name, um, his Dixie Doll Company in New York. Success led the company, which had existed under a variety of names, to call itself the Dixie Cup Cor Corporation and move to a factory in Wilson, Pennsylvania. So, great. They chose their name afterwards. That's the main point. Going off on a tangent. There's just so much to learn. <laughs> just in general, not even music. Just in general. There's so much out there. Moving on. And then we've got Junior Parker. Yet you may see the meaning of within. It is being. It is being. Mm. Anyway. Um, but the thing that that I can't stop looking at or thinking about is throughout all this, like, I've seen, well, I haven't, actually, I haven't seen it, but I, I've known someone that's performed in it, and I know it performs around all the time, but the Million Dollar Quartet, that's kind of first how I learned about Sun Records, um, but the thing that is just consistently weird and it feels yucky is the fact that there are just so many white people that are known for the music like even if you go to sunrecords.com and you look at the artists I mean it's diverse for sure but you know the people that everyone knows are you know yeah anybody have thoughts on all this somebody talk to me about this because I need to not just talk to a microphone I need to talk to people about this this is a conversation can we like do a live chat or something help a girl out and also another thing to note is that for quite some time when there was a I'm using quotations and they would say a colored person that had records they were not 
putting their faces on that record. It would just be their names or a design, but it wouldn't show their face because they were like, it'll sell better. Isn't that sick? Like, I just, thank goodness that we live in 2019, but it's important to never forget that we did, like, we were segregated not even a hundred years ago. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. And I'm so happy that we've progressed the way that we have. And equality is so important and usually a norm now, but it just freaks me out. It freaks me out that it wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. Um... So never forget that. Also, I forgot to mention the high records that is also in Memphis. And I'm going to play Al Green now because he was one of their big men for that. And I love him. So I'm going to play this for you. This is I'm Still in Love with You. Let's stay together. So I'll play that. Just in case you don't know. <laughs> we have quiet elegance this is called I'm afraid of losing you confusion that might be had they were founded in Detroit Michigan but high records was in Memphis Tennessee here's mama said this is also by quiet elegance Another. There's a lot of artists 
that were with High Records as well. I'm really just naming some of the people that I enjoy and I've listened to before. Um, but this is now Otis Clay, and this is his song, Trying to Live My Life Without You. such a good it's not a good song it's a great song um and I love his voice in it because he's using this thing that we call distortion and it's just a bit of this over compressed sound and sometimes this can be done with your epiglottis this can be done with um your uvula this can be done with all kinds of different little ways of working around the voice uh, 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 that kind of sound and it's so cool and also, there's a little white dog that's on the couch with him on the cover of it. And how can you go wrong? If you put a dog on the cover, I will buy it. Anyway, it's a great song. Um, but anyway, that's just a little rundown of some of the main recording labels that were in Memphis, Tennessee. And those are some of the artists that you can look into to listen to more, to become more um, educated on where music came from. As well as, I didn't even talk about, I kind of skipped through some things, but there's music way before here that you can hear its influence is in what you just heard. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for you. Hold on. This is Robert Johnson. And there was actually a, a Netflix special on him. Um, and I watched this a couple months ago, but let me look up the name really quick. Okay, got it. Okay. It's called Devil at the Crossroads. And it was so cool. It was so cool. Um, the history of it is really creepy because... The story is how, what they think, this is, this is, you know, this is lore, but they say that he became so good, he, like, left, went, we don't know where he went, but, um, for one year he was gone, he disappeared, and then a year later, he was so good that people thought that he sold his soul to the devil, and he didn't make it past 27 he's part of the 27 club which we could do a whole episode on that I find it really creepy actually would be a good Halloween special but um anyway Robert Johnson apparently sold his soul to the devil to be able to play as well as he did and some of his finger picking um and the way he sang it's all been just so influential in all the blues and rock music um it was that influential. Anyway, the the um, Netflix special is really, really cool. It's worth watching. And there's all kinds of artists in there that I didn't know about. Um, there was this one woman, which I have to find her name for you. She's really cool. All right. So first, her name is Rory Block. Anyway, she was an interviewee on this and listen to her. 
Wait till you hear her voice. able to stop listening to her after that uh, documentary on Robert Johnson. Um, but some of the things that are so cool about the things she's doing with her voice, she's doing these fall-offs. Uh, yeah. And we also call those shadow vowels as well. So the note kind of falls away and also you add a vowel onto the end of the phrase. Yeah. Uh, whoa. Uh. And then she also has really slow vibrato. That's cool. And she's mainly using her voice for storytelling. It's not about sounding good or perfect, it's just telling the story. Now, I finally have to play just a little bit of Robert Johnson so you get an idea of what this is. Um, and it sounds so cool. This is called Crossroad Blues. growl in there. Mm. Oh, so good. Um, but anyway, he's thinking about selling his soul um, at the crossroads. So that's creepy and really cool. Um, and a lot of the uh, recordings, when you listen back to it, they say they like, it sounds like it's two guitars, but it wasn't. It was one guitar. That's just how good he was. And his fingers super long and just super trained. I'm hoping he didn't sell his soul to the devil. I'm hoping that he just trained for a year and it was amazing. <laughs> That's what I'd like to think. But anyway, there's all kinds of artists out there to be aware of and to learn about. But um, I could talk about this all day, but I'm just going to leave you with a couple other sounds. Um, this is called Death Letter. This is called Death Letter. And it's by Sunhouse. And this is about 1965. So it says, The Father of the Delta Blues, The Complete 1965 Sessions. And I really like this song. It sounds very similar. You can kind of hear how all of this makes sense. It's all in the same vein. Um, just take a listen. Hear how similar? He really was so influential. Oh, I grabbed up my suitcase, took a 
start down the road. When I got there, she's laying on a cooling floor. I grabbed up my suitcase, I said I took her down the road. I said, well, when I got there, she's laying on a cooling board. Also, a huge part of this music is the storytelling. Like I was saying, it's not just uh, an emotion. It is actually going from start to finish of a story, which is kind of interesting. And this also just breaks into more information that we could talk about, which isn't the blues, it's rock and roll. So people like Robert Johnson, people like Sunhouse, all these other artists influence people like Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. Um, Keith Richards, he heard... Robert Johnson's music and then was so influenced by it he wanted to learn how to do some of these licks and the finger picking it's really just like crazy how the music of this time as it's still present in music today you just kind of have to listen for it and it definitely gives you an appreciation and it certainly can't help to know this kind of history and also the music theory of it it'll only make you a better artist um, it'll make you care, it'll make you sit down and be a little more thankful, but anyway, I'm done for the day. Let me know what you thought of this episode. It's a little scatterbrained, but I'm hoping that you guys kind of like this over, welcome to this podcast, like it just, that, that'll never be this podcast, is if you can't tell already, this is a very, very casual setting. Um, most of the time, you can't see me, but I'm in my PJs, or, you know, it's just, it's, I just want you to know that I'm a real person talking to you. Um, this isn't, I don't know if I would call this a show. I would like you to feel like you've got a friend and that, you know, we're just kind of having a nice little conversation. <laughs> um, but let me know if you, if most of my listeners want it to be a little more formal. I can certainly make it more formal. You just let me know. <laughs> um, but I think we have something nice going so far. Anyway, go ahead and join our Facebook group. Uh, it's just the Happy Singer Discussion Group on Facebook. Let us know how you found us. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. My name, it's, that's all it is, is K-R-I-S-T-Y-B-I-S-S-E-L-L. You can also email me if you have any questions at all. It's just christybissell at yahoo.com. Um, also, if you're interested in voice lessons, New York Vocal Coaching is where I teach in Manhattan. And I teach about uh, some, it depends. It can be anywhere from 25 to 35 students a week. Um, there's always some availability here and there. So if you're interested in a Skype lesson, you let me know. Um, if you're a classical singer, I have an amazing friend. Her name is Julie. She works at New York Vocal Coaching as well. Um, and she teaches a very mean opera lesson for you if you're interested. Um, also, uh, I haven't really given it much advertisement yet, um, but if you are interested in helping the podcast out and, um, and you have a little extra cash available, um, you can donate on the Patreon page. Um, if you can't, a nice little um, recommendation on the iTunes is great. Just writing us a review is super helpful. Um, the only thing that the money I hope would go towards eventually is donations to certain charities that are trying to help kids get music lessons, something like that. That's kind of my dream. That's my hope. Um, but anyway, let me know if you are interested in the Patreon program. It has uh, a Google document with all kinds of music vocal exercises. 
Um, so far there's about 30 in that dock right now in their MP3s. And if you have any requests, you can simply just say, hey, I want another vocal exercise, yada, 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 and I add it in there. Simple as that. And um, I'm working on all kinds of stuff, but just to make myself as helpful as possible for you all. But we will have an episode dedicated to talking about the Google Drive and how I can make you vocal exercises to help you sing and practice at home. Um, but until then, I hope you're having a great week. Um, I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.